Sleeper 2020, a series of conversations with explorers, artists and thinkers in the world of hospitality experience and design. Founded with a passion by Doug and Clark, a skillful boat rigger who grew up in Miami spending every minute on the ocean, Tucci's heritage is in the marine industry. Every parasol, lounge and cabana created is meticulously engineered to perform without question in any environment. Beyond raising the bar for durability and longevity standards, Tucci umbrellas are built with an unparalleled sense of luxury and innovative design not seen anywhere else in the world. To find out more, visit www.tucci.com. Hello and welcome to the Sleeper 2020 podcast. I'm Guy Dietrich, editor-at-large of Sleeper magazine. Today, we're speaking to Jeffrey Beers, founder of Jeffrey Beers International, based in Manhattan. Jeffrey, good morning and hello. How are you? Hello. Thank you, Guy, for having me. It's great to be here with you. Really looking forward to hearing your views on the future of hospitality and design. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tell the audience a little bit about your background. You studied architecture at the Rhode Island School of Design gained a Fulbright scholarship and traveled to Brazil to study with the iconic Brazilian architect, Oscar Niemeyer. Handily enough, this year, it's Brasilia's 60th anniversary. You then apprenticed with uh, Ian Pei, famous for his work on the Four Seasons Hotel New York, amongst a multitude of notable projects. And I'm sure we're going to hear in a minute about the influence these two gentlemen had on your, on your particular style. You set up JBI in 1986. It's a full-service studio that specializes in architecture, design, and planning, majoring in hospitality, hotels, restaurants, bars, clubs, for clients such as in the hotel sector, Four Seasons, Fairmont, One and Only, Hard Rock, restaurants for Gordon Ramsay, Jean-Georges von Gerichten, F&B outlets on Costa Cruises, also residential work. One of your latest projects there is uh, 277 Fifth Avenue. That's a 55-story tower in Manhattan. And I understand that you like this so much, uh, you're going to take a place there. Lucky you. Okay. Uh, You've had a variety of of, uh, product collaborations too, the immersion collection of glass tiles for AKDO. Now I know glass blowing is also a particular uh, skill of yours. Fabric design for Lebatex and your own furniture range, uh, the Regatta collection. So a great deal of creative energy, plenty of artistry and and a real wide scope of work. Jeffrey, I mentioned earlier the influence of Nehemiah and Pei on your your work. You've said that they shaped your design vision, a vision that you call emotional modernism. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, uh, Oscar Nehemiah was uh, an incredible influence um, on my career. I came from uh, RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, out of architecture school right to Brazil, And I worked for Oscar Niemeyer in Rio de Janeiro for a year. He taught me a lot about um, geometry and form and how spaces interact with each other. He was a modernist, of course, but his sense of curvilinear shapes and form uh, reminded me greatly of my work in glassblowing, which I also studied at RISD. Hmm. That's very interesting, isn't it? Because um, that that's not something you necessarily appreciate or, or, or anticipate with architecture, this fluidity of ideas. And certainly Nehemiah and that, that approach he had, uh, many of those structures of fantastic curved forms. Yes, amazing curved forms. 
I remember uh, the wonderful uh, lunches that I would have with Oscar. He, he loved New York. He was fascinated with New York. He wanted to know everything about New York. And having grown up in Manhattan, I lived there all, I've lived here all my life. We had many, many uh, uh, lunches of stories. We would go for walks down Copacabana Beach, and he would ask me all sorts of questions about New York. Uh, I would be equally as interested in Brasilia, and his English was about as good as my Portuguese at the time, so I would speak Portuguese and he would speak English to me. It was a wonderful uh, moment. Um, I was greatly um, saddened but happy that he uh, lived to 104. Uh, he passed about two years ago, three years ago, uh, and and so unfortunately, just Mr. Mr. Pay, um, and and his his uh, structures are are, are very unlike uh, those of of uh, Nehemiah's in many ways. Yes, exactly. I spent about a year with Oscar Niemeyer, uh, and then returned to New York to join the office of I M Pay. He is an amazing, was an amazing architect. He passed also at one hundred and one. But I greatly admired him for his diplomacy, his rigor, his discipline, and his spirit. Um, you wouldn't think of I.M. Pei necessarily as an emotional architect, but he truly was. His sense of material, his sense of uh, light and shadow and form, while not necessarily as sensual as Oscar's, it was very handsome and tailored. Very nicely put. Um, how do you think these two have both then come together to, to, to as you describe it, your emotional modernism, this de design vision of yours? Well, I think the thing that I've learned from both of them the most, uh, Guy, is that although style is, is very important and architectural style, of course, but I think the most significant aspect of architecture and design is the question how my designs will affect people and their mood. Each of those two architects embodied a tremendous amount of appeal to individuals, to people, in a very different way. Oscar appealed to your uh, feminine side, if you will. I, I, I believe he was very uh, soft and smooth and his sense of materials. Uh, he worked very closely with Roberto Burle Marx, the landscape architect who I met. And the two of them were amazingly close collaborators. I am equally as warm, but in a much more sort of modern sensibility. His use of travertine and marbles and really rich metals such as bronze and other metals taught me a great deal about tailoring and sort of the timelessness of design, yet it being warm and emotional. Yes, warm and emotional. Um, perhaps you could expand on that and look at some of your, your, your newer projects. And I'm thinking here of the, the Newbury in Boston for Highgate Hotels, the Atlantis in Sanya. This is the first Atlantis hotel in, in, in China. And perhaps the Fairmont El San Juan in Puerto Rico. How, how do those hotels reflect this uh, style of yours and this, how it affects people and their moods, particularly in the hospitality space? I think this is very important. Well, sure. Um, the Newbury uh, in Boston is a very special project uh, for me. It, uh, it was originally uh, designed and opened as a Ritz-Carlton, um, but it is located right on the Boston Commons, which is the sort of the heart and center of Boston. It's where 
everyone in Boston enjoys uh, being with family. It's the Central Park of Boston, if you will. And the address is One Newberry, so it's a very prestigious address. The building historically is a quite important, uh, certainly for Bostonians. And our approach was to be very respectful of that architecture, uh, but to come in with a much more modern sensibility for the interiors to complement that architecture. Our use of warm metals and stones and lighting really complement a a warm emotional interior, but it's modern and timeless that would juxtapose and contrast the architecture beautifully. Okay, let's let's have, what what about the Atlantis? This is now moving into a resort the the other side of the globe. How does how does that look? Yes, the Atlantis. Uh, I I worked on uh, all three of the Atlantises. There, the first one in in the Bahamas and then Dubai. Um, but this one, I uh, was pretty much the lead uh, interior designer for the whole property. It is in Sanya, China. It's it's our modern interpretation of the Atlantean sort of style that, that Saul Kersner had developed. Uh, we brought a much more modern, contemporary, yet warm and Atlantean feel. It's a massive hotel, isn't it? I think it's 1,300 rooms, something like that. Yes, it's a 1,300-room hotel. Uh, we did all the rooms, uh, most of the restaurants, um, all the public spaces, the lobby. It, it was a very, very big project. Uh, it went on for three to four years, I think. And um, But it was an amazing experience. Uh, and certainly to bring the Atlantis brand uh, to that level of, of modernism, uh, but retain the Atlantean warmth. And what about these underwater rooms uh, where you can see the fish Yes, there are four suites that are, are duplexes, and we located them. I uh, worked very closely with HOK, the architects, and we, we located these rooms right off the aquarium. So the bedrooms and the living rooms have these amazing uh, win picture windows of the aquarium. Yeah, yeah, quite special, quite special. And, and looking at Puerto Rico, the El San Juan, um, it's a 1960s building, 380-odd uh, guest rooms. Um, what have you done there? It's another restoration job, clearly. Yes. Well, the El San Juan was uh, a Morris Lapidus uh, design. We, we had done the Fontainebleau uh, project uh, a few years ago and are continuing to work on the Fontainebleau. Um, but the El San Juan is a, a famous, probably the most famous hotel in San Juan. It is the epicenter of social life for everyone in San Juan, uh, which is really sort of this Morris Lapidus kind of thinking. We actually added to it. We added uh, three more bars and a cabaret uh, lounge to the lobby space. No, this is quite a, a speciality of yours. I think so you, you, you came out of the more the restaurant side of things, these clubs, bars with, with um, live, I, I think on the Costa, you've got a, a live uh, jazz band, jazz club. Um, this is quite a, a thing of yours. You, you obviously enjoy doing these sorts of um, live venues. I do. I enjoy the live cabaret sort of uh, uh, stage, the, the performance aspect. Um, the first restaurant I ever designed called Bar Louis in New York in, uh, in 1985 was a performance restaurant, I'll call it. We had a 180-foot-long bar 
and all the booths and the seating uh, theatrically were placed around the bar and looked at a central kitchen. Uh, the El San Juan is very much of the same spirit. The lobby, like the Fontainebleau, has, in this case, we have three lobby bars, a cabaret uh, lounge, which is right off the entrance. It's a very, very popular hotel. Everyone in San Juan loves going to, it's this sort of epicenter, like the Fontainebleau in Miami. Talking of these these live uh, live events or sort of entertainment type uh, uh, projects, you've got a couple up and coming. One in Korea uh, and another in Times Square that are sort of entertainment based projects. How do they, how do they sit in light of your your uh, your design vision, emotional modernism? Uh, we're working on a project in Seoul, Korea, called Inspire. Um, it is a very large resort, uh, gaming and retail uh, hotel facility. We're developing all of the retail space, if you will, including the streetscape, uh, the arenas, the spa, the pools, as well as uh, one of three hotels. We're in charge of one of the hotels and much of the restaurant spaces throughout the project. It's an amazing look, property. Looking at the, some of the renders there, the, 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 it looks fantastic, really sort of fantastical, uh, the, the setup you've yes. got for the, 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 the ceiling arrangements. And I'm not sure exactly what they are, but it certainly looks pretty spectacular. It's a beautiful lobby. How about Times Square, closer to home for you as a Manhattanite? Um, you're, you're doing a project there. Times Square is a new build uh, hotel, 300 room hotel for Hard Rock Hotel. Um, it's a it's a wonderful property on 48th Street in Midtown in the theater district. The lobby is a two story uh, duplex, very theatrical, very visual and emotionally strong. The use of materials in this project are exemplary. We are using many, many different types of woods. Um, different metals and stone. The stone flooring looks amazing. Yes, the stone floor is an incredible uh, sort of a sound bar riff of a design. And it's a beautiful marble and travertine flooring. Uh, there are 15 different types of stone we're using in this project. The rooftop bar and lounge is quite spectacular. The views are to the south and the north and the east. Amazing views from this lounge. How do you think travel is going to look over the next uh, 20 years, looking beyond COVID uh, and, and to the main shifts in global travel patterns? Well, I think it's very hard to, to say or predict uh, anything really in, in that far out or, or in the future regarding travel. But, but I certainly think that uh, we've learned a lot. I think that things are going to change. Things, things will change, I think, for the better. I think that uh, in general, I think everyone will be much more mindful and thoughtful about how they travel, how long they travel, for, for what purposes they travel. Um, I personally yearn uh, for the time that we can all travel again. Uh, I look forward to it. Um, I, I do feel a certain nostalgia, in fact, for, for a time uh, in the 70s, actually. I, both my parents, my mom and dad, had travel companies uh, when I grew up. And as a kid and a young teenager uh, growing up in Manhattan, I had the opportunity of, of traveling with my parents in Europe, especially uh, in the 70s. And it was a very uh, memorable time 
travel I remembered distinctly was a, a very special kind of uh, you you honored the event you you held you looked forward to it you, you honored the event of travel itself so the actual the the the, the, the transport if you like the the flight or the, the the ship or the train that you took is that what you're implying or just the whole thing of going on a, on a trip the whole thing of going on a trip but certainly uh back then the 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 service and the care and the personalization it, it was a relatively um you know a, important event and you know traveling that distance uh 40 years ago was uh was was a significant trip to take but i think that it's really about uh service and mindfulness and thoughtfulness do, do you think we see a return to that nostalgic way of travel sort of a much slower way of travel uh is that something that's going to come back in a way i do i think that uh i mean i certainly think that more people will be traveling in their cars and will be traveling basically locally at least for the next few years I think that you know long distance travel will will be curtailed or or limited to absolutes or um as I said being very mindful about how you travel and <clears throat> how long I don't think that uh, we're going to jump on airplanes for a one day meeting um in halfway around the world uh certainly that's been my experience for the last 20 years yeah, I think you'll you'll see definitely a, 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 sm- a slow a, a slowness in terms of the number of of the frequency. People will travel for longer periods, but fewer times a year, and they won't just be jetting off for two days here, three days there. Um, I think we'll see longer longer periods of stay, and like I say, making the whole thing more of an event. So talking about it beforehand, the actual experience, and then recounting the tales afterwards. If fewer people in your office are traveling, when they come back, there's going to be more of a report back to the team. What did I learn? What did I see? What inspired me? What event did I go to? And what have you? And much more sort of feedback rather than just sort of saying, yeah, I got back. It was fine. Um, it's going to be, I think there's going to be more, more feedback because the, the lucky or the unlucky person who has to travel uh, will need to, to or will want to, to share their views and what they've learned. Absolutely. I, I think that everyone will uh, look to it as a more memorable experience. Um, that's what I remember from the 70s. That's my nostalgia um, moment. And it, and it has to do with hotels and the industry as a whole. I, 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 I really believe and, and remember that the service that we received, the personalization and the authenticity of the hotels that, that we, we stayed at, whether they were luxury hotels such as the Hassler or the Ritz or the Bristol or whatever, but even smaller hotels, the, the, the whole idea of an inn or a, an innkeeper and the, the attention to one's um, personal needs, your family, uh, your, your desires, your wants, your, I think certainly the hotel industry I'm looking forward to a time when I, I don't want the concierge to disappear. I, I want the concierge. It, it may be a more of a, a platform of a technological platform, which is fine. Certainly touchless and uh, less contact is something that will, will come into play much more. But I still think that the, the notion of, of being there and being there to assist you and help you whether you're on an airplane or traveling from point A to point to one point to another, I think certainly hotels have to be uh, 
a, a, a warm, welcoming destination. And let's see how that's going to be realized in, in hotel design. But it's interesting, you mentioned their personalization and authenticity. These are sort of two uh, sort of buzzwords of recent years in the hotel design scene. Um, and, and you're talking about this from sort of your, your memories of, of 30 or 40 years ago. Um, do you think things have changed then very much? Or do you think it's going to be broadly similar, particularly in the luxury, luxury sector? I think things have changed greatly. I mean, I, 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 I sort of have this whole, um, again, this nostalgic memory of the, of the 70s and, you know, the rise of disco and, and that led to the 80s and, and sort of the, you know, the scene of, of clubs and hotels and big box hotels, big box hotels that, that, that had, had thousands of rooms. Which you know then led to the '90s and the rise of Ian Traeger and the Royalton and a boutique hotel. But it still was about sort of a scene and and being in this cool place. Um, I, I think we're now entering. I, I I really think people are yearning to a you know again a much more personalized um, experience. I, I think what made those hotels in the seventies special was the one-on-one attention that each guest received. There was a personal greeting. There was a note in your room. Uh, it was less about feeling part of a scene than feeling transported somewhere special and taken care of very well. I, I, I really believe that, that going forward, I don't want to call it um, retreats necessarily, but, I think we are all going to be looking more for an individualized experience and something that's more um, personal, emotional, and memorable. Yeah, perhaps the return of real hospitality. Yes, a true return to hospitality. Um, well, let's let's look at the design side of things now. Um, and again, difficult to predict what the hotels might look like in 20 years time. Um, they're slow moving old beasts, hotels, so big property plays. Uh, people aren't really prepared to take risks or many people aren't. But how do you think design is going to look in, in the hotel over the next two decades? We've done this in the past by looking at it, sort of doing a quick tour of the hotel, you know, lobby, F&B spaces, guest rooms, etc. But I think the key issue really is, is the sort of this tension between the, the need for a warm welcome, which you've spoken eloquently about there with regard to hospitality and a return to that, but also the, 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 the as I say, the tension between the, the warmth and the welcome and this need for currently sort of hygienic spaces and, 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 uh, and what have you. How do you think that's all going to play out? Well, I certainly, you know, in the, in the next uh, few years, I, and in fact, I think cleanliness and um, you know, housekeeping and upgraded sanitation standards. Brands are, are certainly migrating from housekeeping being a back of house uh, activity to a very front of house activity. I think we will all be looking for the properties in creating a safe environment, an environment that I feel as I enter that people are, are caring for this property. They're thinking about me. They're thinking about my family and their guests and the safety of their guests. Certainly that's going to be and should be a major priority. But I, I certainly, I do think we as architects and designers, we, we need to create much more timeless and sort of thoughtful environments. I think we need to, to frame the guest experience. Uh, we as architects and designers have our role along with the uh, proprietor. The, the operations of the hotel need to really seamlessly integrate with the design vision and they become authentic. I, I think these the new hotels need to be much more authentic and memorable. 
they need to be sort of completely on their own. Um, and I hate to sort of say the big box brands, but, you know, I'm looking for a, a an experience that is more memorable. If I'm going to travel and if I'm going to go and stay, um, I, I want to really that 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 experience be some, be memorable and be special for me. Don't therefore the big box brands, as you put call them, don't they need to uh, just think a bit more about personalizing the experience and making it more memorable? Because it is it is possible we're seeing that. Yes, it is. I think that they all, in fact, uh, everyone I speak to um, from from the major brands are, are that is what very much what's on their mind, and it, it's about being more personal. I think that that guest rooms are going to get larger. I think that um, partitions are going to have to be flexible. The room will have to be very flexible to accommodate uh, whatever the guest needs are, whether it be a, a, a gym equipment or or a um, a, a safer mini bar, if you will, or a more stocked, touchless kind of mini bar, a safe room service that that we all understand how they're operating. Sort of a, a potentially a sort of a, a mini apartment type room with maybe even minor cooking facilities. Is this something that might come come through? Yes, I believe that uh, it is going to be a, a mini apartment of some sort. I, they, there will be, I think, kitchen or some sort of cooking available. There'll be a work. There'll be work areas that are thoughtful and uh, certainly uh, more than just a, a countertop or a desk. I think that they'll be organized in a way that you, you have an area to eat or uh, whoever you're with can essentially be in a residential space. You're in an apartment. Just talking of, of partitioning, you mentioned there this idea, uh, obviously something that might be very useful when it comes to F&B areas and sort of this this uh, approach for, for more private dining or, or, or sort of booth-like uh, uh, dining. Again, not just in the post-COVID era, I think just in, in general, people are, are there, there's one one aspect of the, 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 the sharing table or the, the communal table, the, you know, the chef's table, for example. Um, let's see how that goes in the future. But also, as I say, booths, partitioning. How do, how do you think we're going to, where are things going to be steered? How do you think they're going to head? Well, I think the use of uh, private uh, dining rooms, if you will, or areas which can um, accommodate uh, a, a larger uh, number of guests, but safely accommodate, um, but they're flexible. They can become smaller or larger as needed. Yeah, it was, it was interesting talk, talking to a few of our designers on, on the podcast, looking at this idea of if you've got a, a hundred cover restaurant, but you can only actually have, say, 40, 50 covers. Obviously, there's the financial aspects, which perhaps we can talk about. Um, but how do you make the restaurant not feel empty? And perhaps partitioning and flexible partitioning could be one of the, uh, the, the things to do there. I think so. I, I, I think it's all, it, you know, it's a bygone really to the inn, to back to, to an inn where there were dining rooms or there were a number of different ways of, of, of dining, either at a large table. And, and I think those that uh, come together as a group would be fine at a large table. But I think that if areas can be organized and laid out from a booth standpoint, uh, the booths will have partitions. They'll have higher backs. They'll be able to move and not be fixed so they can reconfigure. I think that the bar is something that we're very challenged by. What is the new bar of restaurants? And I don't think it's a straight bar. I think it undulates. I think it might pivot so that you can recreate a shape or, or uh, 
create a curvilinear or uh, surreptitious uh, shape. I think that people need to separate, but also engage, of course, with each other and the bar just in a safe way. Let's look at um, uh, another area, the the, uh, the lobby, for example, of how that's going to going to change again not just post covid but going forward we see a lot of technology there uh, and and the uh, increase in automation uh, of the, uh, the the guest arrival and departure experience how do you think it's going to change the way hotel lobbies look well the entry is probably the most important opportunity really uh, to denote the character and the ethos of the of not only the hotel brand but um, the the guests and the location uh, where the hotel is located in what city or, or what part of the world um, the entry is where that is is really perceived. It's your first impression of the hotel. Um, I learned a great deal from Saul Kersner. We're, we're currently designing a, a one and only in Costa Rica. Um, and Saul's attention to uh, lobbies and entries were always uh, very, very special. You would enter through a large portal or a set of doors I think going forward, that that will be true and even more true because we'll have to uh, cleverly and, um, you know, stylistically design um, uh, sensors or or, uh, treatments in which to scan um, and make sure that anyone entering the hotel uh, is safe. Um, I think that there is a concierge. I think there has to be. I, I think it's not necessarily the, the same process, but I think that one should be able to be greeted uh, from a distance, if you will, or the, the warmth of the property is where that entry and, and lobby comes through. Arguably, with more automation, automation, you've got staff available to provide more of the hospitality aspects, whether that's formally through sort of a concierge or or, or what have you, um, but more people around perhaps to help you. Um, it's you think all hotel- about it's all about the guest, and I think the concierge really, or or the the technology that will come about, um, will will really honor sort of the hotel must know you, and it and it really in the future, I I think. It has to know their guests' needs and wants and desires, or at least I think that's what we are all going to be looking for more and more. Jeffrey, I think we, we, we've covered an awful lot of ground there. Um, if there's any particular you'd like to add, please do so now. Well, I think I just want to say that I think it's really the guest that, that really needs and drives the experience um, of a hotel or a ship or a restaurant. I, I think that uh, every hotel or or even ship needs to have their own identity, their own name, their own uh, design ethos. Of course, um, I think that there are uh, there's a clear narrative, if you will, as to uh, what the restaurant or hotel sort of stands for. I, I think that it's a much more um, appreciative uh, of local surroundings and the community that they're in. I think the emphasis will be on communicating to guests the authenticity of the property and the thoughtfulness, um, the optimism, and maybe the originality. I I think originality is something that architects and designers are going to be asked much more uh, of. Originality. I like it. Originality. Jeffrey Beers, thank you very much indeed. We've talked today about the the challenge of the buffet, about nostalgia, a return to real hospitality, um, how the hotel must really know you, know the guest. 
but perhaps uh, more, more importantly, it's the, this idea that while style is important, uh, it's the effect your designs can have on people and their mood uh, that have brought Jeffrey Beers to where he is today. Jeffrey, thanks very much for your help, your time. Uh, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, Guy. It's been Sleeper lovely speaking with you. A series of conversations with explorers, artists and thinkers in the world of hospitality experience and design. Founded with a passion by Doug and Clark, a skillful boat rigger who grew up in Miami spending every minute on the ocean, Tucci's heritage is in the marine industry. Every parasol, lounge and cabana created is meticulously engineered to perform without question in any environment. Beyond raising the bar for durability and longevity standards, Tucci umbrellas are built with an unparalleled sense of luxury and innovative design not seen anywhere else in the world. To find out more, visit www.tucci.com. Tucci.com.